They believed in their story. And there's no reason for us to think that Liz Gilbert's story or Mary Carr's story or Joe Smith's story is any different or more important or valuable than my story. So why not tell that story, tell that truth? My guest today, Albert Flynn de Silva, is an award-winning poet and acclaimed writer in multiple genres, including poetry, memoir, and nonfiction. As a speaker and workshop leader, he is known for merging the art of creative writing with mindfulness meditation and going even deeper, as we'll find out, to awakening. He served as Marin County, California, first poet laureate from 2008 to 2010. Welcome, Albert. Delighted to be here. Thank you, Carol. Hello, and welcome to the Write the Book Inside You podcast. Tips, tools, and interviews for coaches and healers like you who want to write a non-fiction book to boost your visibility, clients, and cash flow while making a difference. I'm your host, Carol Westmore, a multi-published author and energy psychology tapping book coach. Now let's jump into today's episode. Albert, your purpose, you say, is to remind people of their inherent creative genius and reignite their joy, fun, and spontaneity. And yet, as you reveal in your memoir, that was hard won considering your childhood and early adult years in addiction. Tell us your origin story going from suicidal alcoholic to poet laureate to today. How much time do we have? <laughs> An overview. At least, well, how about starting with the first line of Beamish Boy? That says a lot. Shall I, shall I read it to you? Yes, please. I don't have I it was in front raised, of me. <laughs> I was raised in a clock tower with bats in the belfry. Yeah. Tell us what, what that, that very poetic opening to a, a childhood which was, tell us more. Yeah, so it's, uh, it is true. It was a very tumultuous childhood, although, you know, there was lots of physical abundance. You know, I grew up in actually in great privilege. Uh, we had this nice house in the suburbs outside of New York. We had a swimming pool and a tennis court and trips to Europe and looked all very nice out from the exterior. But there was also uh, the fact of my father's distance, uh, my mother's alcoholism. They weren't really up for parenting to begin with. And so they hired a, a caretaker and uh, for myself and my sisters, uh, who turned out to be very strict, controlling, and eventually violent towards my sisters and I. And, you know, I just had this very fearful and anxious uh, conception and experience of the world. I didn't feel safe, really, in the world. And, you know, with the good modeling, from my mother, I started drinking at a very young age, uh, at age 12. By 19, I was a committed binge drinker, uh, got into a lot of trouble. You know, by 22, there was one night where I woke up handcuffed to a hospital bed with no idea how I got there, and I was under arrest. So this was, you know, it was all very sort of traumatizing in it. And, and yet somehow I, I found my way. I survived. And I think it was that shock of survival that kind of knocked me awake on some level. It, it knocked me into like, well, first of all, I'm not going to get another chance. You know, I had multiple accidents uh, under the influence of alcohol. And there was a, a, you know, two very bad accidents. And I just realized there probably wasn't going to be a third, like I wasn't going to get a third chance of survival. So, so there was that whole piece of growing up. And at the same time, 
you know, my parents were great consumers of culture. You know, they loved books. We had tons of books around the house. Uh, they took us to the symphony and to the ballet and, you know, to museums and so forth. So I kind of grew up around that and it was hard to absorb. I mean, I absorbed it subconsciously, but it took me a long time to realize the positive impact of that because of, you know, the abuse and addiction that was kind of clouding that out. So Albert, what was the turning point when you knew you were a writer and poetry called you? So I kind of flailed about for a while. Um, I was a very bad student and um, we ha- everything kind of came to a crashing halt in the late 70s, early 80s with the economic downturn and we lost the house and the trips to Europe and all that stuff went away. We got a, a family humbling around all of that. I flailed through high school and got into college and sort of made my way through the arts. Like the photography was was something that that I did a little bit of in high school. Then when I came to college and they asked me, you know, what do you want to major in? Uh, How about taking pictures? (laughs) Can I major in taking pictures? And they said, sure, that's called a a BFA, a Bachelor of Fine Arts. I thought, wow, that's cool. Okay, I'll do that. And uh, so I started doing this photography thing. I got pretty into it and studied that for a few years at the University of Colorado. And then um, I didn't know what to do with myself after I graduated. I was painting houses and I was pretty miserable. And so I applied to grad school in San Francisco. And there I was at the San Francisco Art Institute in my 20s, in graduate school, totally lost and flailing, not understanding how to navigate this big city art world. But I had a teacher, uh, Bill Berkson, who was a poet. He was the art history teacher. We all had to take Bill's class to graduate through his art history class. Turns out Bill was also not only an art writer for Art News and Art in America, he was also a poet. And there was this one night he he sort of randomly, I bumped into him in the photo studio and he said, hey, there's this poetry reading down the down at the Cal Theater tonight and you should come check it out. And I was like, not really into it. I don't know much from poetry, but I didn't have anything going on. So he kind of convinced me. I go to this reading. Turns out it's the Nort- it's a release reading and this big party for the Norton Anthology of Postmodern American Poetry. And uh, the, the all-star cast was there. Diane De Prima was there. The great beat poet Alice Notley had flown in from Paris and Ron Padgett was there from New York. It was just this amazing group of poets. And I was just floored. I was truly floored. I remember hearing these words from the the editor, Paul Hoover, who's quoting um, one of the poets featured in the anthology, Berkeley Renaissance poet from the 1950s, Jack Spicer, who said, unbind the dreamers, poet be like God. And I was like, ah, <laughs> you know, I was just like completely blown away. I was like, this is it. Like, I don't know about this photography thing anymore. I want language. I want words. I want like this magic that can be created with the power of words. And so that was it. That pretty much kind of was like the lightning bolt that set me on the writing journey. For how many years were you? I, I believe you really studied it and wrote. And how, about how many years of, of your life was that? And had you stopped drinking? But yes, yes. So context-wise, yeah. So I I had quit drinking uh, age twenty-two. It was that night I got I woke up handcuffed to that hospital bed and I was under arrest and I never drank again. That was uh, September first, nineteen ninety-one. So it was about thirty. I'm losing track of time, but 31 years or something like that. So I was still very young. I had not dealt with the reasons why I drank in the first place. I mean, I took about a year, year and a half after undergrad to go to grad school. So I was in my mid-20s 
you know, after going to that reading, I just started scribbling notes and started, I bought the anthology and I was just reading like crazy. And Bill would share some, you know, out of print poetry books and rare manuscripts with me. And I just was eating it all up. You know, I couldn't get enough of it. And, uh, you know, I started writing seriously just after that, probably about 90, that would have been 96 or 97, really teaching myself how to write because nobody ever told me that in school you know pretty much i failed all my my papers you know my yeah. english classes and papers i i was pretty much dyslexic i couldn't complete a sentence and that's why i think poetry really resonated you know because it's like oh i can write in lines you know i can write lists i can write it doesn't have to make sense <laughs> you know there was all this possibility for me in later we're going to talk about your masterclass and what you teach about persistence. Mm-hmm. But I love the story of your how you got your first poem. Was it published? I started off slowly with this, with submitting my work, and mostly, you know, I had been connecting with some some other fellow writers in San Francisco, and we had a small community. They had friends in New York, and we just had like little magazines, right? And we would just share poems, and we would send them to our friends, and and sometimes little things would get published in there. But I always had, I was like, oh, I want to be published. There's a famous magazine on the West Coast. It's still going. It's been going for like, I don't know, 40 years or something called Ziziva, Z-Y-Z-Z-Y-V-A. And it's a terrific magazine of West Coast writers and artists. And that sort of is the creme de la creme of West Coast publishing. And so I submitted and I submitted and I submitted and just rejection after rejection after rejection. And I think I got up to close to 50 rejections, but I just kept going. I just thought, well, you know, maybe someday I'll break through. So 51 was the magic. And uh, they finally published one of my pieces. Fantastic. I think idea of persistence as a writer is really coming up here. After the poetry, maybe meditation? Was that a turning point? Absolutely. Right around the time that, you know, in the mid-90s, I had graduated from the Art Institute and I was kind of flailing about. I was really impassioned with this poetry thing. Had not dealt with my inner demons. A friend of mine told me about this place called Spirit Rock, a meditation center, which is here in Northern California. And I didn't really know anything about meditation. I didn't know anything about Buddhism or any of that. I didn't grow up in a religious household. But a friend of mine said, hey, come to this Monday night thing at Spirit Rock. You know, basically you just sit in silence and and then they give a talk. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. <laughs> and that night, uh, there's teacher Jack Cornfield was speaking and he was sharing poems the whole night was just him sharing poems. And I thought, well, this is interesting. Here's a, they're talking about meditation, but they're talking about it with poetry. And so I started to see that there was this, this parallel path of mindfulness and awakening of connecting with the heart and, and confronting difficult emotions that, um, that poetry was kind of a language of the heart. And, and I always, now I describe it as the language of possibility, but that really arose from that, that experience of, of meditation and mindfulness and that there, there was this path out of suffering. It still held so much suffering in my body that I didn't know what to do with. And, and meditation really became a pathway for me, well, honestly, towards healing, but also towards expanded creativity. So was there therapy involved in your life? Or are you saying most of your healing came through meditation experiences or 
Did you do lots and lots of therapy? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, sort of endless therapy. Yeah. Although there's a whole thing we we won't have to get into it now, but there's a whole thing in the book in Beamish Boy about this. I was involved with this this psychedelic therapy cult for a while. Okay. That's how I like to refer to it. It was therapy, and the the leaders were they were one was a marriage and family therapist, the other had a PhD in psychology, but they used. The substances, you know, they they called the medicines, pretty much drugs. And now it's a, it's a little bit, you know, there's been a lot more research that's been done on psychedelic therapies and so forth. But back in those days, they weren't really holding it in a very, what should I say, contained. And so there was a lot of boundary crossing, sexual impropriety, community meltdown. But that that journey of awakening really came through both the psychedelic experiences and also the meditation. So so to return to the meditation, which you call the dynamic duo of writing and meditation in your uh, in your second book or mm-hmm. your, one of your books, Writing yeah. as a Path to Awakening. Now, what do you mean by awakening in terms of <laughs> creativity, writing and meditation? Is it to connecting with your authentic self? or Absolutely. Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, for me, awakening, there's a whole definition in the book, but for me, you know, awakening is really waking up to that that true sense of self, that true context. You know, I think many of us come through life, myself included, this we have this idea of ourselves, this ego self that is Albert, who has, you know, has a story and and has certain abilities and has certain experiences. But what I learned through the process of, of meditation and, you know, contemplation and through therapeutic practices and all of this, that I'm so much more than that. You know, there's more going on here than meets the eye and the ear and the nose and the mouth, that there's this this um, this field of possibility that we're all sort of swimming about in. And that if we can touch into that through, you know, through silence, through stillness, then it gives us this ultimate sense of waking up to a, a larger possibility for creativity, connection, and a life of, of just beauty and balance, even though there's a lot of like chaos going on in the world out there, I can still ground out in a in a sense of possibility within myself. And that becomes a model that can radiate out. Let's just talk about your writing. Tell us your writing practice, how it looks today. Yeah, so it really it really depends on what genre i i write in a lot of different genres so i write poetry i've, I've been working on a book of essays um, i've got a book of nonfiction right now that i'm working on i have a novel project and when i'm in a project i am writing every day um, i do often like to begin those those daily sessions with silence and with stillness and that that kind of opens me up to the creative field and helps me access different layers of creativity and sensory experience that I may not have been uh, open to. I was curious about when you're talking about the body. Is it, you say mm-hmm. you call use the word embodied. Was it meditation or writing? Going into your body. Could you describe that? I think the best, most authentic emotional writing comes from the body. It comes from this experience of being in the body, courageously being willing to go into those deeper places, into the body, into the deeper places of sensation, of fear energy, of anger energy, and also by the same token, uh, delight energy and joy energy. To write from those, those embodied places rather than from my great idea, right? Or from the idea I have about the 
emotion or the the idea I have about the feeling, but really the feeling itself. And you know, the best way to do that is through a stream of consciousness exercises and free writing exercises. You know, all these things where we're not writing so much from idea, but we're writing from spontaneous energy. If that makes sense. Mm. It's it's an interesting, not not often taught uh, method uh, for for teachers of writing, and I believe you have a brilliant writers online writing school. Is yeah, that- so we have a an online writing school. It's it's actually not a year long program; it's a lifetime access program. Okay. So I'm on this journey with people for eternity as it were <laughs> for as long as actually write and publish so we you know we have weekly classes um we do free writing classes we do concentrated writing sessions we have coaching we have a meditation component and all of these are interwoven in helping people go from inspiration and inception to completion and ultimately publication if that's their desire yeah, so we have people are in different phases throughout the their, you know, some people are coming in just trying to conceive of their ideas. Other people have published books, they're working on a second project, and they might be in that um, advanced editing stage. Some are looking for resources for publication or looking to how to connect with agents. So we're able to touch in given the nature and the way we've structured the program that we can accommodate people at different levels and different stages of their their writing journey. What and that they're, we're all teaching together, okay, which is okay. pretty amazing. And is it fiction and nonfiction? So yeah. some people are writing poetry, some people are writing okay. novels, some people are writing fantasy, some people are writing okay. essays and memoir. Memoir is a popular one. Because we realized that that we all have a story to tell, you know, and that our unique stories, even if we're sort of a funny nobody, has resonance and has power. And when we give a full, authentic uh, language to that story, it can really touch a lot of lives. You know, it can really have a, a very positive impact. You know, we I think we think of of like those famous writers, you know, the Mary Cars of the world or the Liz Gilberts or whoever it is, you know, we, we we think of them in these terms of those names, we know those names and they've existed, but at some point they were a funny nobody, right? <laughs> they were just an anonymous person who had a story to tell and they gave themselves to language, they gave themselves to this process, they believed in their story. And there's no reason for us to think that Liz Gilbert's story or Mary Carr's story or Joe Smith's story is any different or more important or valuable than my story. So why not tell that story, tell that truth? And there's lots of ways to do that. You can do that in traditional memoir, you can do that through poetry, you can do that through um, fictionalizing things and, mm-hmm. and tell it through a novel. 10 Ps, but you've got a masterclass on your website. And yes. I, I would say, we are talking now about memoir. The, one of the P's is, is the purpose, why you want to write mm-hmm. it, would you say? Yes. And after that, we, we touched on persistence. Is there anything of the 10 P's? Can you give us another dive into one of the others that you think is important? Well, practice, of course. And okay. this is where most of us get hung up is, you know, because another P is procrastination. Persistence, staying in process and practicing is, is really the key. I, a meditative connotation as well. You, well, that's exactly it, you know, because otherwise, you know, the, the mind is so busy. It's, it's so entranced by shiny objects 
And those shiny objects are ideas, thoughts, um, fantasies, dreams, memories, etc. And so they can divert us from our path, right? They can divert us from stillness. They can divert us from from presence, basically. And so it's it's a similar thing in teaching consistency in writing because we it's it's hard to tell the truth in writing. It's confrontational writing. And so I think it takes, and I remind people all the time that it's a courageous act. What you're doing, showing up on the page is a courageous act. Of course, there's going to be resistance. This is totally natural. But if we can have um, a space, an environment, a community that can support us, hold us accountable, and can, can keep reminding us that our story matters, and that that here are the steps that you can do to stay on the path, to stay consistent. So then you'll like see a lot of encouragement. Um, as we're coming to the end of the interview, I, yeah. I want to look towards something that you've been, you've, you've gone out at, is it on a limb to do a Kickstarter for this amazing, <laughs> unusual book? Tell us about, is it one of your passions, is it a passion project? Yes, very much so. So this is a little different than um, what I normally write and work on. But during the pandemic, uh, one of the ways I kept myself sane was by being outside and connected to nature and the natural world. And on my bicycle. So I'm a big mountain biker. I love riding my bike in the woods on little trails and in the mountains. And uh, it gives me a lot of joy. It gives me a lot of kind of connection to the natural world and presence and being embodied. And so I've created this book called Single Track Mind, uh, Finding Wisdom and the Poetry of Life on Two Wheels. And, and I wanted to do it as an independent project and kind of see like what's possible with community supported publishing. So I've teamed up with a, a, an amazing photographer from Sweden, a guy named Matthias Fredriksson. And uh, he's, he's got 10 photographs in the book and I've got five travel essays. And um, yeah, so we're just kind of going out on a limb for the next few weeks and see if we can pull this off. <laughs> yeah, as this recording is in uh, mid June, we yes. we hope to yeah. see you know what's going to come of it. So, is it yeah. is it a bit challenging for you? Has it uh, triggered you in any way? You know, as opposed to being you know called by a publisher to publish your work. You know, I mean, my last book was published with a mainstream publisher here in the United States, uh, a fabulous publisher, and it we did great and. Um, you know, it was a, a lovely experience. You know, just the financial realities of of publishing are such that it, at some point, when you have a certain platform, it ultimately doesn't matter whether you go with a publisher or whether you try and do things on your own. You know, it's, the important thing is to connect with those readers. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it sounds to me like a coffee table type book, if it's got beautiful pictures and essays. Am I right? It's not really a Kindle type book. No, no, this is not an ebook. This will be kind of a, well, we're doing a paperback edition and a hardback edition, but it'll be kind of a little compact, fun, little, beautiful book that will be inspired. It's about spirituality, nature, and being embodied on a bicycle. So thank thank you. Is there any last uh, message you'd like to leave my listeners on Write the Book in Well, I think just kind of reminding people to stay true to your heart, believe in your, your heart and believe in your story. And don't let all those sort of external noises you know, external noises and the noises in your head keep you from the page because you do have a story to tell and your story is valuable. And we need stories of beauty, positivity, compassion, and love in this this time. 
more than ever. Now, I believe you have, have an offer that people can connect uh, more deeply with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, so we're offering for a limited time uh, people, listeners to the podcast who are interested, who might be wanting to go deeper with their writing or write a book. We're doing free 30-minute consultations. And these are really basically coaching sessions uh, where we can talk about anything around writing, editing, and publishing. And we'd love to support you. Well, I'm going so. to sign up for one right away. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, all, um, you know, we always have, I've got three projects on the go. And one is the inner game of writing, which mm -hmm. is about, you know, which, which your actual topic today really dovetails in with. But I actually don't have a chapter on meditation. So mm -hmm. I could maybe Beautiful. add what we've said today. So thanks so mm -hmm. much, Albert. I thought I'd let you know that I took advantage of the free 30-minute call with Albert and it has been so worthwhile. In 30 minutes, he really helped me get clear as to my next steps and he has other things to offer. So I urge you to take Albert up on his offer and go to calendly.com forward slash Albert Flynn de Silva forward slash call. The links are in the show notes. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. Want a free gift to inspire you further on your book writing adventure? My free checklist, five book hook tips to kickstart your book writing journey will help you get clarity on the key essentials to make your book a winner. Download it at writethebookinsideyou.com forward slash free gift. The links are in the show notes. Until next time, a big virtual hug and keep writing.